Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. The topic for today's Spirit in Action program is discernment, specifically individual spiritual discernment. And my guests are Jerry Knutson, author of a Pendle Hill pamphlet on the subject, and Kat Griffith, who is working with Jerry on translating it into Spanish for a Latin American audience, with the prospect of jointly leading workshops on the topic. Jerry's first master's degree was in environmental engineering, and his second was a master's of divinity degree from Earlham School of Religion. Kat studied agricultural economics, lived in Latin America for years, and has written more than a dozen articles for Friends Journal on a variety of topics. Together, Jerry Knudsen and Kat Griffith provide insight and light into a better way to make fruitful, life-changing decisions, and they join us via Zoom from Maryland and Wisconsin, respectively. Jerry Knudsen, so good to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Good to be here. And Kat Griffith, it's so wonderful to see you again. I get to see you much more frequently because of our connection through Northern Yearly Meeting. How wonderful to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Great to be here. And the topic today, as I just said, was spiritual discernment. And I'm going to turn this over to Jerry to start out. Because, Jerry, you wrote a Pendle Hill pamphlet about it. You've given a number of workshops about it. You've taken long classes about it. So you must be extremely wise now. What is discernment, in particular, individual spiritual discernment? Well, I can't say it off the top of my head as good as I can if I read the pamphlet. So in my pamphlet, I write, the verb to discern is defined as to separate, to distinguish. For the noun discernment, I prefer Webster's simple definition, to perceive, because it implies that the guidance is always there waiting for you. All you need to do is perceive it. The early Quakers called comprehending the guidance as an opening. The veils were lifted. An opening implies the same principle. The guidance is already in existence, but it may be hidden behind a screen. So in spiritual discernment, you're listening to your thoughts in your head, observing external events, and focusing on the sensations in your body, and seeking to understand whether the guidance or information you're getting is coming from self, parents, peers, teachers, pastors, culture, or a higher power. So we need to talk about this higher power thing right away to talk about discernment because some people say, you know, you mainly should be guided by your stomach. Why not? What (laughs) your taste buds, right? There's a, a number of authorities that people want to put in first place. Some people say the invisible hand of the market. That's what we need to be guided by. Why do we want to go to this higher power, which you refer to as agape in your Pendle Hill pamphlet? I think there's a difference between discernment and decision-making. So a lot of those tend to come from decision-making, whereas in discernment, we're asked to be led by the spirit or a higher power, agape, whatever you want to call this spiritual force. And why do you like agape better than the other names that one does use, you know, higher power, God, whatever? Uh, Yeah, a lot of those have baggage. You know, when some people say God, other people are offended 
or especially Christ my Lord and Savior may offend some people. I kind of want to get out of that and just give it unconditional love kind of meaning for this higher power. Does that at all limit the kind of discernment you can do if it's only about love? I mean, maybe shooting someone in self-defense, and I don't believe in doing that, actually. But does this predestine what kind of answers you're going to get? Yeah, I hope it does, actually. I think if you're led by love, it's hard to do anything wrong. Why is discernment so important in our day and age? Again, there are a lot of people who would tout, let's make all our decisions. The only discernment we need to do is whether our bank balance goes up or whatever. What is missing in those other cases? Well, for me, I look at it as selfishness versus selflessness. So if I'm living my world in selfishness, I'm worried about my bank account and other issues, but I'm looking at selflessness, then I'm much more altruistic and willing to help others and looking for the greater good for the greater number of people sort of thing. That's how I choose to live my life. That's Jerry Knutson's guide on this. One of the articles that you wrote, Kat, was called Careful Discernment or Spiritual Timidity. And the question I just was thinking about asking Jerry, which maybe I'll just toss to you instead, is if you choose to be guided in discernment by love, does that limit the options and does that maybe lead to spiritual timidity is the question that I had. I I actually like the same guidance that you like, Jerry. Okay, so it's, I'm not speaking against that. But what I'm also wondering is, If too often we therefore take that loving guidance as a shutdown of part of our possibilities. I guess I want to push back a little bit on a piece of what Jerry said and a piece of your question. I think for me, it's true that if I follow discernment as I understand it, doing what I believe the Spirit is calling me to do, it's true that very often I will end up doing things that may appear to be selfless. But what that misses is that it sounds, when you use that word selfless, it sounds as a kind of self-denial or uh, a loss of things that you might experience as benefits. But my experience of that, my experience of following the discernment that I'm given is that it gives me the enormous gift of peace. It gives me an enormous sense of oneness with a will beyond myself, that there is nothing sweeter There's nothing more peaceful. There's nothing more gratifying than saying yes to that, than being obedient to that. So it doesn't end up feeling like self-denial or self-abnegation or giving everything to somebody else. It ends up feeling like I was the one who got a big gift here. And I just want to make sure people understand that, that selflessness, as you're describing it, can actually be incredibly rewarding and self-gifting. And I think also revealing of who you really are and what you're really made to do. So I wanted to put that out there. And now I'm forgetting what I wanted to push back on in your your question mark. (laughs) So you can either ask it again or come up with a new one. I'm sure something else will come up real quickly as soon as I ask another question. So how important is discernment to you? And part of my question is, because I assume a lot of our listeners for Spirit in Action, they will react that this discernment thing, getting all religious and woo-woo, is going to take us out of what makes sense to do. Some people just say, well, discernment of this loving thing is always to be a doormat or whatever. I mean, uh, people misinterpret it in many ways. 
I think we can go into discernment with a filter on it that's going to take us in some not great directions. And I certainly have done that. I mean, there have been times when I probably myself closed off certain avenues of discernment because I knew kind of the general direction I wanted to go in and I was hoping I would get confirmation for that. As I've gotten better at doing discernment, I've gotten better at letting some of those filters go. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect vessel of discernment by any means. I'm sure that some of what I get is clouded by my own perceptions and, and inabilities. But I find that when the discernment I get feels really clear and really certain, it's not stupid, ridiculous, outrageous stuff that I'm asked to do. I mean, I think sometimes, well, occasionally it seems kind of outrageous. I mean, one time I was given very, very clear discernment to intervene in a physical fight between some neighbors next door, which is a scary and arguably dangerous thing to do. And I got very clear discernment that I was to intervene and I did, and it went fine. I don't think under normal circumstances, it would have gone fine, but I was in a deep state of surrender, a deep state of prayer, a deep state of humility. And they thanked me incredibly graciously for intervening in their scary fight. I had a similar situation where I felt very strongly led to intervene in a case of child abuse, also a dangerous thing where one wouldn't ordinarily tread, one would ordinarily want to call 911. I was again in a state of deep surrender, and I was able to intervene in a way that was perceived as loving and supportive by both the mother and the child. And I stayed with them for three days, kind of working through (laughs) what had happened. So sometimes I'm given things like that to do. More often, it's very simple things. Like one of the times I got discernment a couple of years ago was I lost my job and I asked God, so what next? What, what do you want from me? I thought this was it. Now this has been taken away. What do you want? And the answer I got back was tend to your worship group. I'm going to be honest with you. That answer did not thrill me. I felt like my worship group was kind of small and kind of pokey and I've been tending to it for a very long time. And I think I'd like something new. Thank you. And that's not what I got. But what ended up happening was over the course of the next year, my feelings about that guidance and my feelings about our worship group were utterly transformed. It became a central pole of my life. It has been a deep, joyful thing. And our worship group has really grown and become like, you know, we're kind of a presence, you know, I mean, we're very still small, but I think there's a lot of spirit in our group and people who come and join us are like, wow, this is really great. So there was nothing shocking about that guidance. And yet it was life transforming for me. I think it would help if we heard from you, Jerry, as well, some of your examples of discernment, because a lot of people may be thinking uh, discernment is all just about, you know, going into the priesthood or whatever. The examples you just gave, Kat, made it very concrete and day to day. Can you give us some more examples, Jerry, of what you mean by discernment when it's happened in your life? Along that same line with uh, logical Most of my discernment, I know it's from the spirit because it's not logical. I'm an engineer by training, and I'm very logical. And so when something hits my mind that's not logical, I pay attention to it. I don't obey it. I pay attention to it. For example, we had a spiritual healing group, and two of the members were in the hospital. So we canceled the group. So I was sitting at home, and and I got this message that I should go to the healing group. And I thought, well, that's stupid. Nobody will be there. We've canceled it. But it was persistent. And that's another thing that helps me with my leadings. And I thought, you know what? It's a half hour drive across town. 
I'm going to go over there and just sit in there and pray for the people that are in the hospital and just, you know, prove that this is stupid. So I went there. I'm sitting in the room. This woman shows up. I say hello and ask her, are you here for the spiritual healing? And she said, yes. And I said, how'd you find out about it? She says, I didn't. I was riding with somebody and I saw your church and I got this feeling that I should go in and I saw the spiritual healing on the board. And so I came up. So we did a little spiritual healing, which is more, it's not like faith healing, you know, where make my leg better. It's more of a whatever is best for this individual made that happen. Quakers call it holding in the light. But anyway, so we did a little bit of that holding in light. And, and I confirmed that it actually was a leading. If I hadn't shown up, if I'd ignored it, then I never would have known that I really was needed there. Any other examples you care to offer, big or small? I can share one. I had a very sad experience a few years ago of my sister dying unexpectedly. I remember the moment that I heard from the police department that she was dead. I knew I just it just came into my mind unbidden that I was to stay with my niece until she graduated from high school, which was kind of on the other side of the country. And I just knew I didn't have to think about it. There wasn't a weighing of options like, do I leave my husband? Do I bring her there? It was just, no, I'm staying here until she's done with high school and ready to be starting out on her own. And I I felt such peace about that decision. I never questioned it. I never had regrets about it. I never had mixed feelings about it. It was just done. And I felt this sense of obedience to it that brought me such joy and calm in what could have been a very, very difficult time. That for me is kind of a, it's the kind of evidence that I get when I'm trying to discern what is the right course of action. I know I have found it for sure when I have that feeling of peace and acceptance and single-mindedness of purpose, when I don't have all these mixed feelings about it. So I, I look for that. And when I achieve it, it's like, okay. And it, it reminds me of the song, Simple Gifts, turning, turning till we come round right. You keep on turning until you get there and then you know, okay, yep, this is right. This is where I'm meant to be. I'd love to hear some contrasting of decision-making versus discernment. Jerry, you mentioned that there's one thing, which is decision-making. And you mentioned as an engineer with your training in that logical way, a lot of us have evolved ways, you know, here, write your pros and cons, and you can then weigh out and make your decision. This is something more indifferent. So how does discernment relate to decision-making? Well, the first thing I, I need to say is that there is no line between the two. They're more like hands clasped. There was a, an article on, on NPR on Bean. They had Ruth Chang, who is a professor at Rutgers, talk about decision-making. She gave the example of tough decisions are tough because they're equal. For example, a simple one would be, do I have a chocolate donut or do I have oatmeal and nuts and fruit for breakfast? She says, you know, you part of you says, I want the taste of the chocolate donut. The other says, well, I want the healthiness of the oatmeal. And she says, what you want to do is decide who you are. Are you somebody that's in favor of flavor or in favor of a healthy diet? And go with that. And I hear that. And I'm going like, well, that's kind of spirituality. You know, I mean, that is spirituality of, you know, who am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? So, yeah, I don't know if you can really break the two of them apart. And Kat, do you have a response to it? How do they relate discernment and decision-making? 
I agree with what Jerry has said. And I think that for me, decision-making and discernment converge more the better we know ourselves and the better we listen. You know, I've been journaling since I was 13. I know myself well. I can come to discernment on small things more faithfully than I probably could if I hadn't done all that introspection all this time. But there are some issues where I can't say I spend a lot of time in discernment, you know, if I, if I have to buy something. Some things I'll spend a lot of time about. Others, I just don't. And I hope that they're faithful to what's reasonable. But then there's times when I really have to stop myself and say, no, this, this is going to take some heavy lifting. I'm going to need to really spend some time on this. And now my practice when I have a really difficult decision to make is I will bring it to the experiment with light, which is a, a kind of guided meditation that helps you kind of lift the curtain on, on what's going on for you interiorly what the spirit might be trying to say to you. And it's often a step removed from the decision that I need to make, but will very likely reveal something that I need to know as I go into that discernment. It might be helpful to talk about how we know which decisions need discernment. There was uh, something happened back when I was in Milwaukee. I was selected to be treasurer of the meeting. And the first month I'm paying the bills for the Quaker meeting there. All of a sudden, I realized when I looked at the phone bill that there was the federal phone tax, the, the war tax. Uh, it was a tax that was originated to actually increase whatever to support war, specifically Korean and then the war in Vietnam. So it had been my personal clearness practice to not pay the war tax on my personal phone bill. And all of a sudden, I'm here a treasurer of this Quaker organization. Am I going to pay this or not? So for me, there was a personal discernment issue. So what I did is I took it to the meeting right away and I said, hey, I've got this issue. I can't do this. My personal clarity is to not do that. What does the meeting want to do? And we entered into a discernment process. And some people would have said it was useless. It was a big hubbub about nothing because the phone bill for the Quaker meeting there would have involved maybe a couple dollars a month in federal taxes. You know, the military machine is not going to crumble for lack of a couple dollars. Another person who was part of the meeting said, you know, we, we just spent $100,000 building the meeting house. You could say this $2 is irrelevant. But she said, no, this is probably the most important decision that we'll make. And it needs really careful discernment. So my question is, how do we know which decisions need discernment as opposed to, okay, I'll buy it? I think... It has to do partly with how weighty the decision is and whether I think there is a moral component would be one thing. I'm not saying that a moral consideration is the only one, but certainly I don't think that we need to spend time discernment over the, the color of the cushions you know, in the meeting house. I don't think God has any strong feelings about that. If there are any strong feelings, I would say it would be, well, try not to offend anybody. <laughs> you know, It would be worth that level of discernment. I think there's other decisions that are a whole lot weightier. And my experience tells me that in quite a few situations, and I think, Jerry, you've, you've had the same experience frequently, we try to get discernment and what we get is a lot of silence. I don't take that as necessarily God doesn't care. What I take that as is there may not be enough data for me to make the right decision, or I may not right yet be the person that I need to be to implement the right decision or I may need to generate a data stream for myself to have enough information to make the right decision or to move my heart in the right direction to accept what is the right decision. So there are times when I'm not sure how much discernment is needed or what the discernment exactly is, but I, I take that as, okay, I have more work to do. 
And in, in those situations, I try to set things up so that I start getting data. I may say, okay, I'm going to give myself permission to experiment in this way for this period of time on X and see what data I get. What's the response when I do it that way? I would say there were a lot of things about clerking Northern Yearly Meeting that were kind of experimental for me. I wanted to try some things out and see what happens. And I've gotten very clear data, both for and against various ideas that I've had about how to clerk and how to proceed. And I think that that has allowed me to be a more discerning clerk, that I've set that up to get that data and get more information about where to go and what to do. Do you have any reaction, Jerry? Generally, I try to take a gentle, easy step in the way the discernment is leading me and see how it goes. And some decisions I just make. Yeah, I agree with Kat. It's very challenging to know which decisions need discernment and which ones don't. And sometimes I don't give it the time that I should. One thing I say in my pamphlet is that I try to live my life at the speed of discernment, but I'm not successful at that. It's just, it's kind of a goal. I know that this must be somewhat confusing to our listeners for Spirit in Action because things are not nailed down hard and fast. There is no simple rule of thumb. In your Pendle Hill pamphlet, Jerry, and folks, Jerry Knutson's Pendle Hill pamphlet is number 443. I have a link for it on Northern Spirit Radio, so you can go and read the whole thing. It's only some 10 pages or so that you'd be reading, so it's not immense by any means, but it'll have a whole lot of detail and texture and understanding to get you to the next level of understanding. This is something refined that we're talking about, but my question is, is discernment about about being perfect. I have a feeling that's what some people are going to be questioning. It says, oh, my decision isn't good enough. I have to be more perfect. Is that what it's about? Well, let's back up a minute. The Pendle Hill pamphlet is 34 pages long. It can be read in an hour. You've got the printout and it's probably fine print. Mine is full sheet. Pendle Hill pamphlets are small, so my pages are much bigger. But anyway, so again, perfection. And obviously I wasn't perfect in terms of saying how many pages it had. I'd like to speak to that. I think that discernment, think of it as like you're crossing a river and here's the next stone that you're going to step on. It's getting you closer to the other side of the river, but it isn't the other side of the river. Good discernment takes me closer to being the person I'm meant to be, to living the life I'm meant to live. It's progress in that direction. It's not an arrival. So there have been many times when I've discerned to do something which then set me up for the next thing. You know, there's always a higher peak that you can't see from down below. There's always a bigger challenge to overcome that you couldn't see when you were still focused on a little one. So I think good discernment takes you further and further along a spiritual path. And I don't think it's the only spiritual path. Like I think about a decision that I made many years ago. I made the decision to go to grad school and study agricultural economics. It was the most logical decision I've ever made in my life. It was full of good ideas and data, and it had all sorts of things in favor of it, but I didn't discern it. I logicked it out, and it ended up being, on the face of it, not a good decision. I was not an ecstatically happy agricultural economist. I didn't love the program. I found good work to do afterwards, partly because of that credential, but I never really worked as an agricultural economist in some ways. However, I can't say that it was a bad decision because I also, you know, got involved in the Madison Friends meeting. I met my husband. We got married. All sorts of wonderful things came out of that. So I, my feeling is, okay, it wasn't the most discerned decision that I made. I might have made a different one had I gone into a really good process of discernment, but it took me forward anyway. 
It gave me a new opportunity set that gave me all the things I could need. So I I don't think of there being one way across the river. You can take a scenic route. You can take a route that involves slipping on a a, a wet rock. I mean, all of that, it's okay. You just keep on trying to discern the next step and find another way forward. And you just keep on getting better at it. Well, we certainly can all hope to do that. We're going to cover a considerable more detail in speaking with Jerry Knutson and Kat Griffith about discernment. But first, I want to remind you folks, you are listening to Spirit in Action. Our website is northernspiritradio.org with all of our guests of the past 16 years, people doing world healing in so many different ways. And we've got our artists that we feature on our Song of the Soul program. Links to them, all the information is on northernspiritradio.org. Please post a comment when you visit. Consider donating if you're able to. And remember to support your local community radio stations. They're so important to have alternative voices of both news and of music, of art, of community, to be able to discern what's important locally. In order to do that well, you need to have a local voice. One size fits all nationally isn't good enough for what we need in the community. So please support your local community radio station. Again, Jerry and Kat are here. Jerry is the author of a Pendle Hill pamphlet about discernment. It's called Individual Spiritual Discernment, Receiving, Testing, and Implementing Leadings from a Higher Power. Kat is participating in a possible translation of this into Spanish for South American, for Latin American Quakers. That's a whole process itself. I'd love to hear a few words about it. But Kat's also the author of a number of Friends Journal articles. Friends Journal has some wonderful, wonderful literature in it. And I, okay, I'm a little bit prejudiced in your favor, Kat. Cats are the best articles ever. I mean, there's articles like In Defense of Blue Kool-Aid or God at the ATM or When To-Dos Become Tadas. There's really wonderful wisdom and so wonderfully spoken. I'm going to have a link to that on NordenSpiritRadio.org. But let's just take this detour. The two of you have been collaborating on this perspective translating of the Pendle Hill pamphlet into Spanish. How's that going? I guess in one word, slow. We're working on it, and it's uh, the spirit has a different timeline than I do, that's for certain. But we're trying to see if this will be helpful to Latin American friends. I've written it for an FGC audience, which is very liberal. And FGC means for our listeners? A Friends General Conference. It's one of the five branches of Quakerism. The Latin American friends come from a more Bible-based spirituality. So they tend to use the Bible more and the FGC friends tend to use discernment more. So we don't know if it's going to be helpful for them. We're working on it. One of the things that we have as a feature of Quakers around here in Wisconsin is the Northern Yearly Meeting, which is basically Minnesota and Wisconsin, has a special relationship with El Salvador Friends Meeting. And Kat is one of the people who is fluent in Spanish, who has acted as translator and, and host for our guests from El Salvador when they've come up here. So I think, Kat, you have special insights into communicating with Latin American Quakers. I would say that it's been a long time result of my own discernment to realize that I am on a lot of different levels, a bit of a translator, a bit of an interpreter. I spent many years living in Latin America and working there. I also, living in a small rural town in central Wisconsin, I homeschooled my children for nine years and was part of a homeschooling community here that had a lot in common, actually, with a lot of Latin American friends. They're more evangelical, they're more Bible-focused, 
It's a set of relationships that I really treasure that have challenged me and enriched me, made my faith bigger and given me a few knocks upside the head. (laughs) So I really enjoy the challenge of thinking about how to explore these issues with people who tend to do it differently. I like what they bring. I like their willingness. And this is true both for many of my Latin American friends, as well as many of my homeschooling friends, their willingness to take a statement from the Bible and use it to guide their lives in ways that are not self-serving, that are not convenient, that are not easy. They're willing to be challenged in ways that a lot of people aren't. Discernment, as Jerry and I are talking about it, can be a little squishy. You can make it easy on yourself and kind of get away with it and not quite know you're getting away with it. It also can be hugely challenging, but I think the tendency for many of us is to make it a little easier on ourselves than maybe we should. So I appreciate the more kind of rigid and demanding approach of saying, what does the Bible tell me to do? Well, then I'll do it. And I actually, I want to give an example of Salvadoran discernment that I thought was powerful. We had a a situation where the first people who offered to host Salvadoran visitors were a lesbian couple. And we know that Salvadoran friends, by and large, are pretty anti-gay. They feel that homosexuality is a sin. They feel very strongly about this. And it's not a, a question of personal dislike or necessarily homophobia, but it's a strongly held belief that God believes this is wrong and we must be obedient to God. We faced the difficult decision of, do we invite them to stay in a household where they may be offended by the whole concept, the whole setup, or do we turn down the gift that that couple has offered? Neither thing felt easy. Neither thing felt sure. And we decided our discernment was we need to let them make that decision, not make it for them. Even if it's uncomfortable for them to make it, even if we have some doubts about whether we should make them make it, we do think that we should trust their discernment on this. So we gave them their options. We we set up an alternative and we said, this is the couple that has invited you to stay with them. And there is another alternative. If this is uncomfortable for you, what would you like to do? And they went and sort of huddled together for a few minutes to talk about it. And they came back resolute, sure. And they said, if that's where God sent us, that is where we will go. Yes. We'll hand it to the Salvadoran friends, ending of the Bible, to do that. How do you think our world would be different if more people would add this layer of discernment onto the decision they make already? Does that look like a different world to you? I think going back to the Bible of the thousand years of peace they mentioned there, I mean, that's kind of think where we'd be if uh, we got a tipping point of people using discernment, you know, because people that are self-serving need some discernment in there. I think we could, we would have a thousand years of peace. I think, of course, it would be enormously different. It doesn't mean that we would all agree because I think, you know, we may all be Like God is trying to reach all of us and we're not quite getting it. And, you know, I'm a little bit deaf over here and somebody's a little bit deaf over here. And there is a single source to which hopefully we're all eventually tuned in. What I think about, for example, again, going back to the example of the Salvadoran and Wisconsin friends, we've had many conversations on the issue of homosexuality. And I would say that we've discerned to a degree that we have a very peaceful and loving coexistence that would not be possible without the discernment on both sides. For example, some of them have come to the position that they believe it's a sin, but they also believe that it's not up to them to do anything about it, that it's up to God. If there's anything that needs to happen, God will do it. That's simply not in their hands, that all they need to do is love and be present and speak the truth as they understand it. That is, for me, quite easy to live with. I don't have a problem with that. 
That's not where they started. And for myself, speaking for myself and not for any other friends, I came to believe at one point in my journey that I needed to seriously consider the possibility that I was wrong. I needed to consider the possibility that God wanted me to believe that it was a sin. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to go through that step. I had to go through that step for my own integrity. I had to acknowledge the possibility that I might be wrong. And I still remember the day that I prayed to God and invited God to tell me if that was what I needed to believe. It was one of the deepest moments of surrender I have ever managed in my spiritual life. It came with tears and fear and trembling. It was very, very, very hard. I didn't know where it was going to lead. And I can tell you that it could have led to some very scary places for me, given who I am and who my life is peopled with. The idea that I would become, say, a follower of Jerry Falwell or something was was really terrifying. I would have had to give up a lot to do that. My discernment was that I needed to be willing to do that. In the end, God did not make me do that. But my willingness to do that made it possible for me to accept very comfortably where many other people are. And the gift that I have been given is the gift of being able to talk to people on both sides of this very painful, very divisive issue with true love and acceptance, with true comfort. Like, I don't have a hard time. I'm not, those conversations are not costly for me personally. That feels like a huge gift. There's my peace penny right there. There's what discernment has given me is the peace to be able to be in those conversations and in that conflict and not feel torn to pieces by it. And you can certainly tell listeners that if more of us were doing that in the world, all of these differences that we can't resolve between this end and that end could be resolved. There would be a possibility of harmony, inclusion, and peace in a true deep sense, not just people not speaking up for what they want or need but a real resolution of the issues. Kat, when you speak, use God fairly often. Jerry, when you wrote the Pendle Hill pamphlet, number 443, you tended to use the phrase agape to refer to the thing that we're trying to get guidance from. Is discernment good for atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Taoists, who don't have an explicit concept of God? I think so. I mean, there's a lot of elements and layers to it. Some of them don't at all require the presence of a God to do. And I would say that many people, if they don't believe in a personal God, may still believe in something like my highest good or, you know, sort of compassion for all beings or something like that. If you're willing to submit to not necessarily a higher power so much as a higher good, I think you could be doing the same thing that I'm doing. I think if you don't have the concept of submission at all, then maybe it it wouldn't be quite the same. I'm not sure, but I still think you could do a lot. Like you could come to discern what in you is static, what in you is ego, what in you is things that make you a less pure vessel of goodness. And even if you don't believe in God, you could believe in goodness, right? So you could still make a lot of progress in those ways, I think even without believing in any sort of higher power. What do you think, Jerry? That's why I used agape in the pamphlet, because I wanted to keep it open. And I doubt I would find anybody that was against love. So, you know, that's why I used that word, so that it would be more accessible to people that may not be Christian-oriented or God-oriented. So atheists could use it. In the pamphlet, Jerry, and again, we're talking to Jerry Knudsen, 
He wrote a Pendle Hill pamphlet. Pendle Hill pamphlet is a Quaker series. Anybody can read them. It's good for everyone. It's Pendle Hill pamphlet 443. In this publication, Jerry gives a number of examples of discernment and being sensitive to guidance. One of them that you gave, Jerry, which seems kind of out of the realm of the normal, is a woman driving along. She has a very clear sense. It's almost like the word of God hitting on her head, saying, stop the car. She stops it. It's foggy. It's unclear. She can't see very far. And a horse runs across the road in front of her. That's almost, you know, like God's voice, come down, stop. And maybe a lot of people are thinking that's the normal way that you get discernment. Obviously, she's not sitting there meditating about, should I drive on or not? She's just traveling along. So where does discernment reside in terms of a voice speaking from heaven versus the gentle guidance? Well, I think it really depends on the urgency of the situation. I just recently heard a woman talk about she was driving the car and riding with her son, and they were following this truck with a couch in it. And she pulled off the side of the road, and that couch fell out of the truck. And her son looked at her like, whoa, how'd you know that, mom? So I think God can speak to us when it's urgent. And I think that's why it's really nice to practice it for the simple things in life so that you're ready to listen when it happens. For me, one thing that's happened is that I tend to see things in neon now. When I was writing the pamphlet, a friend of mine said this would make a great Pendle Hill pamphlet. And I'd already rejected that idea because it was way too big to fit into the words size. They want you to read it in an hour. It was too big for that. But those words lit up like neon. And I thought, oh, so I had to reconsider it. And so I took out a bunch of stuff that other pamphlets had written about, specifically clearness committees and dropped some other things. And it fit and it was accepted. You just don't know how you receive your discernment until you start working with it. Are there major life decisions that either of you have made because of discernment? Yeah. I want to back up just a little bit. When I lived in Costa Rica in Monteverde, there were a lot of biologists who worked there. And some of the wildlife biologists had a very interesting, helpful concept, which was the idea of a search image. They would talk about animals searching for food. And they said, you know, if you have a really specific search image, you're very efficient at finding that thing. Like if what you want is cockroaches, you get good at finding cockroaches. If you want mice, you get good at finding mice. If you have a more general search image that permits lots of different things, you're less efficient at any one thing, but you can see a wider range of possibilities. And so I think that the idea of a search image is really important when we think about what discernment looks like. I used to think that I would get this thundering voice from God, and that was what discernment was. And I have experienced that. I mean, I can think of one time when the voice came, make a mandala. I drew a mandala that came out. It was sort of extruded out of my soul. And then I understood what it was telling me. And it it was solving a problem for me. I got a command one time, call Laura, a 14-year-old homeschooling student of mine who had the solution to my spiritual crisis that day, it turned out. You know, I got a simple yes when I asked if I should accept a job of clerking Northern Yearly Meeting. But a lot of times it's not like that at all. Sometimes what I get is a feeling of deep unease. And that unease is telling me something that I need to really listen to. And I haven't heard it yet or seen it yet. I haven't come to clarity on what it is, but this unease, I need to sit with it. So it can be a voice. It can be a sense of unease. It can be an odd idea. One time I, the car died. I was with three little kids in the car. The car died and we were up in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. It was snowy. It was cold. 
I was like, oh no, what do I do now? Like, I am so not a mechanic. And this idea came to me, which was check the tailpipe, check the tailpipe. I have no, I'd never checked a tailpipe before, but I went out and I looked in the tailpipe full of snow and I thought this cannot be good. So I stuck a stick in and I kind of pulled the snow out. And it turned out that was in fact the problem that it, that it was blocked because I backed into a snowbank and the inability of the, I don't know, carbon monoxide to leave, I killed the engine. We were fine after that. Nobody has ever told me that. I sort of feel like God giving me this mechanical advice. You know? well, not a major life decision, but it was certainly a convenience to not have three small children in the winter in the snow. In a dead. I, I mean, I could tell some other stories, but those are some, I just want to give a range of the ways these voices can come because it's not just one way. We need to have a flexible search image. Are there the times when you've had your clear guidance and you said, no, this is stupid. I'm not doing it. So I one time went to the public library with a lunch prepared to bring a friend of mine who'd been in a car accident and had broken both legs. And I was stopping by the library on my way to her house. While I was in the library, I got this intense sense that I was supposed to offer lunch to this guy named Ron, who was an alcoholic. He spent most of his days in the library drinking out of a paper bag. He was pretty grungy. He smelled quite noticeably from about half a dozen feet away. He often had a bloody bandage on his head because I think he fell a lot when he was drunk. He looked pretty, pretty ragged. And I was like, I don't want to have lunch with him. You know, that just made me extremely uncomfortable. And then I went to my friend's house and it turned out we'd screwed up. I had the wrong day and she wasn't there for me to have lunch with. And I was like, oh, I was supposed to go. I don't, I don't want to do this. So I went home. I brought the food home and I could not find peace. I, it, like, it just bugged me. It bugged me. It bugged me. And finally, it's like, okay, I surrender. So I finally made up a really nice lunch. I made chicken marbella, which is kind of one of my fancy things. And no warning at all. I mean, I didn't know the guy's last name. I didn't know where to find him except the library. But I showed up at noon at the library and I walked over to him and I said, so, um, yeah, you want to have lunch with me? And he said, what put that idea into your head? Oh, I don't know. Um, (laughs) He said, okay. So we went and we sat out on this bench behind the library and it was a beautiful spring day and the apple blossoms were, you know, the the petals were falling down and the creek was going by and the birds were chirping. We ended up having a blast. It was really fun. We just, we just talked about all kinds of stuff. He turned out to be a pretty interesting guy because, you know, he spent all his day reading the newspaper. He was, was quite well informed. He was a Clinton man, liked Hillary Clinton quite a bit. What came out of it for me was a sense of actually this guy is pretty interesting. I really like him. He's fun. I could do this again. And it was this huge weight off me of, you know, that discomfort and guilt you feel when you walk by somebody begging on the street, you walk by a homeless person, you walk by somebody who wants something of you and you feel guilty because maybe you don't give it or you feel guilty because you do and it's not enough or you feel guilty because you have so much or, you know, all of this complicated stuff that's going through your heart. It's just vaporized. I had lunch with Don and it was clear that he didn't, he didn't have anything against me. There was no animus towards me. He had no discomfort. He had no shame. I mean, he was just like an interesting guy with a lot to say. And I'm realizing I said Don and Ron. I'm not sure. I don't even remember which his name was, Don or Ron, one of those. But it was such a burden removed. I was never just never uncomfortable when I saw him again. I always greeted him warmly. We chat for a couple of minutes. And I thought, you know, that was well worth a lunch. 
I mentioned, I think, folks, that both Kat and Jerry have been working on this translation of this Pendle Hill pamphlet, number 443. And again, the pamphlet is called Individual Spiritual Discernment, Receiving Testing, Implementing Leadings from a Higher Power. They're working on translating into Spanish. I understand that part of your possible leading is to then have it in Spanish and to do workshops with Latin American Quakers? Yeah, that's where we're headed. We'll see how the Spirit leads us. I just, in counterpoint to what Kat was saying, I kind of believe pretty strongly in there's a Bible verse of all things work for good for those that love the Lord. I guess that's why I kind of use that as a test of my discernment afterwards. But I also agree with Kat that it doesn't matter where you are. You know, you are where you are and you should be where you are so that when things are happening to you, you need to live into it, to bring your joy and your spirit into whatever situation. One last thing before we finish off today's Spirit in Action. You, Jerry, I believe were raised Lutheran. Kat, you were raised Episcopal. I was raised Catholic. We all came to Quakers as adults. Do your religious roots, Lutheran, Episcopal, or my Catholic, does that limit or energize or in some way heavily shade what discernment is for you? I don't know that it heavily shades it and it doesn't limit it. I will say that there is one piece of Episcopal liturgy that I still use because I think it's so beautiful and it just cuts to the core of what we need to do. And it's the part of the service that says, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts with the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. I think that's perfect. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts with the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. I could write volumes about that and not say any more than that line says. And sometimes I just return to the simplicity of that. Is that what that is what I need? Cleanse the thoughts of my heart. With Lutheranism, we weren't, there didn't seem to be a discernment component to it that I saw anyway. The thing I do like about my Lutheran upbringing is I am a faithful attender at Quaker meeting for worship, which is not like most Quakers. It's like we went to church as a family every Sunday, come hell or high water. Even if we were on vacation, we would find a church and go to it. And I still have that strong commitment to have a weekly spiritual experience, communal spiritual experience. That I always look at my Lutheran upbringing and say, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I think, Jerry, I got something similar out of my Catholic upbringing, you know, every Sunday kind of thing. And it's not like I think it's a sin if I don't go. It's rather it helps root me and focus me It includes something in my life that otherwise I would easily neglect because there's so many temptations to be distracted in other ways. So I think that it does affect me that way. You know, one of the things, and I guess maybe I want to ask this last question for Spirit in Action. I've taught physics at both high school and at college levels. I've worked in computers for more than 30 years. I'm definitely very logically oriented. And so some people are going to think, well, this woo-woo discernment stuff is not possible. I don't find it to work that way, and I don't find myself being limited. But there was a point, I think, where my logical development was limiting my ability to draw on the wider resources. That is to say, it's as if I had to be guided by the numbers and I couldn't be sensitive to something that sat in my heart. I, I like the phrases you've been using, Kat, of the peace penny, the, the thing that lands in a certain place. 
So again, for each of you, how does that balance go in terms of discernment, in terms of this logical part of you and the spiritual discernment, which is what Jerry Knutson's Pendle Hill pamphlet is entitled, Individual Spiritual Discernment. Well, I'm not, I'm not an engineer, but I was raised by one, and I grew up with a lot of faith in the scientific method. And so I, I'm definitely a friend to systematic thinking, and I can bring some of that to discernment. And I think Jerry does a little bit of that in his pamphlet, kind of some things that you can go through to try to improve your discernment. I think what's, what's changed for me in recent years is my ability to connect with more kind of right brain stuff. After my sister died, I went through a course of really, really interesting trauma therapy. And I did a lot of EMDR, a lot of stuff for sort of PTSD. And I became much more attuned to all kinds of right brain stuff. I started getting messages that came from, you know, well, where did that come from? And it turned out I was holding a lot in me, a lot of richness. And so that really expanded my palate. It also expanded my capacity for joy. It expanded my capacity to say yes. It expanded my capacity to pursue things for joy and love that I, I, I didn't bother before. And I feel like, so here's an example. I'll be taking a walk on the prairie and I'll see a gorgeous clump of oxeye sunflowers 200 yards away. And I'll walk through 200 yards of dense prairie. It's prickly. It's hot. It's dusty. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's not going to be comfortable so that I can lie down under those oxeye sunflowers and look up and take a picture looking up at the blue sky. Like I didn't bother to do that sort of thing, you know, six years ago. But now it's so worth it. Like, oh my gosh, that's going to be so great, you know, and I'll, and I'll go tromp across the prairie to do it. And that to me is, it's another piece of the discernment puzzle that I've added is an ability to kind of go after those things, to sense those things, to listen to those little nudges and voices saying, go around the next bend in your kayak and see what's there. Go across that prairie and find out what's there. Go look in that hole. Go look up through that. You know, I, I, it's just made me look in a lot more directions, both literally and figuratively. And it's very enriching. And Jerry, what about that balance in you? Actually, I've been working on that quite a bit lately. And it kind of goes back to Kat's comment or her liturgy about the thoughts of her heart. Because we usually think thoughts are in the mind. And there's a passage in Proverbs that I really like. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Sorry about the masculine language there. But yeah, so I'm trying to move out of my head and into my heart, which is why I also like to use the word agape, of trying to move in that direction. Well, I'm glad you've done that movement. And Kat, I have to say how thankful I am for all the writing that you've done. I want to mention a few more of Kat Griffith's articles that appear in the Friends Journal, and I'll have that linked on nordenspiritradio.org. Surprised by joy. If I had grown in some generous place, hijacked by a prayer, is imagination simple? These are just a few of the articles that Kat has published in Friends Journal. And if I'm not mistaken, that six years that you referred to, Kat, has been real fruitful in terms of all of this kind of writing, the, the, the wisdom, insight, and the generous guidance that you've passed on. Yeah, I feel that way. I feel like it's been an incredible gift of a healing process that I went through that just brought me such incredible riches. And I actually want to say one more thing about that bit of Episcopal liturgy, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts with the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. You can take that very literally, inspiration, breathing in. 
And sometimes I do. I feel like I'm breathing in the Holy Spirit and I will pray for that to so fill my heart that there's no room for anything else. Why would anything else be there? And for me, this is about embracing the good more than chasing away the bad. I believe we need to be conscious and conscientious about that part too, but I think so much of it is making room for what's good, making room for forgiveness, making room for what's love. And when I don't, when I can't pray that sincerely, I can pray to want to want that. Like if I'm just really holding on to bitterness and anger, I can say, okay, I'm not ready to forgive. I'm not quite ready to love, but I want to want to forgive. And I want to want to love. Help me get there. And always that works. Thank you for being faithful to that leading, to that breathing. And Jerry, again, Pendle Hill pamphlet number 443, the links on nordenspiritradio.org. Thank you for all the time you spent in discernment, sharing that with the world, the workshops you've done, and the fact that you came here and joined us today for Spirit in Action. I usually conclude my workshops with a prayer by Thomas Merton, who I have a lot of respect for. Today, especially, we have been touching on his prayer so much. Now, Thomas Merton, you know, wrote the Seven Story Mountain and a lot of other books and was really famous with the Catholics. His mom was actually a Quaker, I believe. But let me read the prayer and you'll understand. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Thank you so much, Jerry, for sharing that. And again, for joining us here today for Spirit in Action. And thank you, Kat. Thank you. It's been just a delight to be here. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it too. It was a very pleasant conversation. And remember, folks, the links for both the Pendleton pamphlet that Jerry Knudsen wrote and Kat Gervis' articles are on nordenspiritradio.org. Fill yourself with some more wonderful insights, writings, and guidance. And join us again next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, 